0: name. Amen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying,
1: Good morning, family of God. Happy New Year. I may have lost track, but I think this is the tenth day of Christmas. Uh, what are you supposed to give on the tenth day of Christmas for the song? Anybody remember? Lords a leaping, maids milking. I can't remember, but I think this is the tenth day of Christmas. So, everybody, turn to your neighbor. And say, "Merry tenth day of Christmas." That means in a couple of days we're going to have a transition time from the Christian festival season of Christmastide to January 6th, which is Epiphany. So today we're looking forward to that transition into the day of Epiphany. If you're not familiar with it, let's talk for a second about what Epiphany is. Everybody say Epiphany. Epiphany is the day that we remember the story we just read. The story of God inviting the wise men to come see Jesus by putting a star in the sky that they recognize as a sign. And the word epiphany comes from a Greek word which means reveal. We celebrate this moment because this is the first moment in which God revealed the identity of Jesus the Savior to the Gentiles. So this story, the story of Epiphany, the story of the wise men, is about God shining His light into the darkness of the world in order to draw all nations to Himself so that every ethnic group, every people group on the earth can experience the salvation and the joy that only God can give. As we are transitioning from thinking about the birth of Christ, to preparing ourselves for epiphany, I want to draw your attention to a Bible verse that I think perfectly shows the union between those two events, the birth of Jesus and the summoning of the Magi. And the verse is John chapter 1, verse 5. I've had that verse in my mind throughout Advent and Christmas this year. And I'm going to ask you to repeat it for, for me a few times today. We'll probably have it memorized before we leave here. Here's what it says. John chapter 1, verse 5. Y'all repeat after me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's say it one more time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what Christmas is about. The baby in the manger is God. Entering into human history in a new way by taking a human nature unto himself so that the light of God's love and forgiveness and truth and wisdom can shine into our dark world. And that's what the story of the wise men is about. It's about God sending light into the darkness of the world to draw the nations to himself. And that's something we need to remember as we transition from 2021 into 2022 because there was some darkness in 2020 and 2021. Did you notice Over the last couple of years, we've experienced a lot of darkness, a lot of evil, a lot of suffering, a lot of death, a lot of deception, a lot of confusion, a lot of division and chaos. But we are here today because the darkness did not snuff us out because God's light is stronger than the world's darkness. In fact, what Epiphany is really here to alert us to, among other things, is this. The darkness always gets the headlines, but the darkness is never the big news. The big news is always that God's light is shining in the world, and His light is stronger than the darkness. Let's say it one more time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. By the way, that word overcome, if you look at different translations, can be rendered sometimes... The darkness can't quench it. The darkness cannot understand it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. The reason there's so many translations is that the word is really a metaphor. It's a Greek word that means something like to grasp. The darkness can't grasp it, which means when Jesus, the God-man, enters into a broken world, the evil and the chaos and the corrupt powers of the world cannot understand Him, but they also can't stop Him. That's what it's about. Now, in the... Text that we've just heard from Matthew chapter 2, there's plenty of darkness. And there's darkness of multiple kinds that have always been in the world and that are very familiar for us if we do read those headlines about the world's darkness today. The first kind of darkness we must note in this text is the darkness of corrupt power and political corruption. Look at verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now the word this is referring to the good news that the Savior has come to rescue the world. When you hear the good news that the Savior has come to rescue the world, you're not supposed to be troubled. You're supposed to react like Elizabeth reacted. You're supposed to react like Mary reacted. You're supposed to react like the angels and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna. You're supposed to rejoice. Then you're supposed to go tell everybody the Savior has been born. But this... Person is troubled because Herod loves power more than he loves God. Herod loves power and the things that power can give him. Power gives him respect. Power secures comfort for him. Power means he can grasp pleasures, whatever pleasures he wants whenever he wants. He loves power more than he loves God. So he doesn't hear God's going to set the world right. He sees somebody else is going to threaten my power, my autonomy, my ability to control my own life and other people's lives. There's only one king in town. That's what's going on in Herod's heart. See, the secret here is that if we love anything that we can lose, if what we love most is anything that we can lose, we will always be slaves to fear. You might want to write that down and ponder that going into the new year. If what we love most is anything that we can lose, we will always be slaves to fear. And if we're slaves to fear, then we're going to react irrationally in a way that harms other people and ourselves. If what we love the most is anything that we can lose, we'll be slaves to fear. The people in the history of the world who live with the most joy and peace and courage are the saints And the martyrs, because what they love most is something they know they can never lose. And that's God. They believe the gospel. They believe that Jesus died and rose again. And that by grace, through faith in His name, they're forgiven. And that they've already received the best gift. And that if they have God, they will inherit the new creation. Which means even the sorrows that we do face in life are temporary. And they're going to be swallowed up by eternal joy. The people who believe that most have courage. But Herod doesn't believe that. And so he doesn't love God the most. Instead, he loves His power. So he's always a slave to the fear of losing His power. That leads to deception in verses 7 and 8. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He's lying. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. And this lying and deception is going to deepen in his heart and it's going to spread. And by the end of Matthew chapter 2, Herod's going to lash out violently killing innocent people. You see, when we love anything more than God, we will be slaves to fear, and that will cause us to lash out and hurt other people. There's darkness of political corruption in this text, but that's not the only kind of darkness. There's also a darkness of religious corruption in this text. Faithful spiritual leaders, when they hear the good news that the Savior has been born, are supposed to go with the Magi to worship Jesus. That's what they should have done. They also should have done everything they could to protect Jesus from Herod. Remember what the text said in verse 3? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was the rest of Jerusalem troubled? Because they know Herod loves power, and they know Herod is insecure, and they know that Herod gets dangerous. These religious leaders who are right there next to Herod in his court know what Herod is like, so they know he doesn't want to worship Jesus. They know that he's not a friend of the news that the Messiah has been born, and yet, look what they do. Verses 4 through 6 say this, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. Everybody say Christ. That means Savior, the King who was promised. Where is he going to be born? And they know exactly. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote the prophet Micah. Chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people... Israel, they don't go with the wise men to worship Jesus. They don't try to protect the infant Messiah, the infant Christ from Herod. Ask yourself the question, what do these religious leaders value the most? What do they love the most? They know the scriptures, but it is clear that God is not their highest value. Reminds me of some religious leaders Jesus will rebuke Later on, when he's an adult, in John chapter 7, Jesus rebukes some people because he says, you search the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you possess eternal life, but it's they that bear witness to me, and you won't come to me. These people know the Bible, but God is not what they value the most, which causes us to reflect, of course, what do we love the most today? What's our highest priority going into 2022 What's your highest value walking into the new year? You see, as we look at the political corruption and the religious corruption and all the darkness in this text, what we're seeing is just a particular manifestation of the two sins the prophets of Israel are already, uh, always denouncing. Everybody say idolatry. Everybody say injustice. Here's the thing. If God is not the highest value and the highest priority in your life, something else will be. And if you don't wake up in the morning excited to worship God, then you will still worship something throughout the day. But instead of worshiping the Creator, you will worship something that He created. By worshiping a creature, you will turn something good into something destructive and enslaving. And that's called idolatry. And idolatry in the Scripture... Is closely connected with injustice because if God is not my top priority in life or in 2022, I will then become a person who does harm to myself and to other people in order to vainly keep seeking some satisfaction I will never find, because only God can satisfy. The darkness in this text should cause us to examine ourselves. God, show me what do I most value. Show me what do I most treasure. If the thing I love most is anything that can be taken away from me, I'll be a slave to fear. And then I'm going to hurt myself and hurt other people. But the good news today is that Jesus came to rescue us and all nations from our self-destructive idolatry and injustice. Because the main point of this text is not that there is darkness in the world. We already knew that. The main point is that the light shines in the darkness. you repeat after me. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That's John chapter 1, verse 5. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, the first few verses, we've got two lights. We've got a literal light and we've got a metaphorical light. The literal light is the star. And we don't know, is this a literal, actual star or is this some sort of other supernatural heavenly light that God put up in the sky. We don't know for sure what's going on. We don't know how these wise men from the east recognized it, but there's a bright light shining and that communicated a message to them that God knew they would be able to understand that brought them to Jerusalem. So there's a literal light. The metaphorical light, of course, is Jesus. Jesus who came to save the nations of the earth from the power of evil and darkness. Jesus came to show us the way of truth, to teach us who God is, to show us the heart of God. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and come back to life. He came so that you and I could be set free from the darkness in the world and from the darkness inside of our own souls. And Jesus came to draw the nations to God. Let's pay attention to a few of the details of how God shines his light into the world in this story. Notice that God met the wise men where they were in a way that they could understand and summons them to experience the joy of true worship. When I say he met them where they were in a way they could understand, I mean, he did something that may seem weird or even shocking to us in order to get their attention. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the day of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The, The word translated wise man here is this word magi. Everybody say magi. That's the word from which we get our word magician. And these guys were sages. They were spiritual teachers. They were gurus from the east, probably from Persia, which means they were from an idolatrous culture. And their job was to be some sort of spiritual directors within that idolatrous culture. And that involved all sorts of things. But one of the things that it involved was astrology, where you look up at the stars and you're looking for signs and you're trying to predict the future and understand what's happening on the earth. And the thing about astrology, people still do it today. People look at their horoscopes. And the thing about it is that the scripture says, don't do it. God forbid it. God said, no, if you want to know what's going on in the world, look at my word. Don't look at the movement of the stars that I created for my glory. So their job is to be spiritual directors within an idolatrous culture. And that involved a practice of astrology that God had forbidden. And yet God loves them so much that while they're looking up in the stars for a sign, he goes ahead and puts one there. He meets them where they are. He still does that today. I've heard stories, I'm not going to tell details right now, but stories of a lot of people from other religions that were seeking the truth and they were seeking God and they were fasting and they were praying and then they had visions where Jesus appeared to them or where they saw a Bible and God began working in their life. I've also heard some stories, maybe y'all have too, about somebody who's walking with God and when I ask them their testimony, they say, well, this may sound weird, but one time I had this crazy trip. You've heard the story, haven't you? And God met me where I, I was. I've known a lot of people that are walking with God at the end of their life, when I asked them, how would you come to know the Lord? And they tell me a story that starts with, when I was in prison. See, God has a way of meeting us where we are, coming to us in the darkness of our confusion, in the darkness of our sin. And we read in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I would love to know the details. What did they see? How did they know it was pointing to the King of the Jews? Probably they had contacted some Jews in Persia because the Jews have been spread out, you know, due due to the diaspora and being carried off into exile. So they knew enough to know what I'm seeing signifies to me that. A baby king is coming among the Jews who's a savior and that I need to go to Jerusalem because there there's people who know the scriptures who can tell us where to find him. But the amazing thing is God gave them this sign and they left everything and traveled a long way. They responded to the light that they had, been, that they had received. Look again at verse 9, by the way. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It went before them until it came to rest over the place. Now, I'm not an astronomer, but I don't think that's how that works, usually. That's part of the reason I think this may be a supernatural sign that they were seeing. But one way or another, between the words that they got from the scribes in Jerusalem and the sign that God has sent them, they arrive, and their arrival, we can hear about in verse 10 and 11, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's how you're supposed to respond when you hear the Savior has come. When you see God's light, everybody say joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Everybody say worship. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're paying tribute to the new king. They're offering the treasures of their own culture to Jesus, the king of all kings, the Lord over all cultures. They're worshiping him, and that leads to joy. Listen, if idolatry and false worship always leads to injustice, then we could say that true worship of the true king always leads to joy. It solves the problem. The problem with idolatry is, first of all, I'm not giving God the honor that is due him. But second of all, I'm denying myself the one thing that could ever satisfy my soul. But when by grace God interrupts my idolatry and calls me to the true king and I start saying, God is number one in my life. You deserve honor. He gives me peace. He gives me joy. And I learn to be free, to live with freedom. Now, this story is fulfilling all kinds of ancient prophecy. We don't have time to talk about it, especially because it's really cold in here. So, homework assignment. If you want some extra credit, go look it up this week and find all the prophecies in Isaiah and elsewhere that are being fulfilled by the calling of the Magi. But right now, what I want us to notice is that this is a story about the light of God shining into a dark world to draw people from all nations to Jesus where they can learn to practice true worship God's joy and peace and salvation and forgiveness into the world. Everybody say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God put this story in the Bible to transform us by the renewal of our minds so that then we can look at our lives and our world in a new way. When we read stories like this, It changes our perspective. It opens our eyes so that we can look around into our darkness. In 2022, I make a prediction. There will be both darkness and light in the world. I think that's a safe prediction. In 2022, guess which one's going to get the headlines? The darkness is going to get the headlines. But which one is stronger? The light. You got it. That's the message of our text. Some of you are carrying from 2021 into 2022 lots of darkness. Some of you got a lot of physical sickness. Some of you are dealing with really painful, broken relationships, friendships, family, strife. A lot of people are dealing with financial uncertainties of various kinds. There's just a lot of darkness. There's a lot of pain in many personal lives here in this room and watching us on the live stream. But listen, what is true about the world is also true about your personal life. God is shining the light in your personal life. And God's light in your personal life is stronger than the darkness in your personal life. Everybody say, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Aren't you glad Jesus died on the cross and came back to life to rescue you from the power of darkness? Here's another question. Aren't you glad that God sent people to tell you about Jesus and to teach you the Bible throughout your life? I'm so thankful. What a gift. How often have you thought about all the sacrifice and all the martyrdom and all the miracles that it took over the course of centuries in order for it to be easy for you to hear the gospel. Have you thought about that? When we talk about the nations or the Gentiles, we're talking about everybody who is not ethnic Israel, who is not Jewish, and I think that's all of us in this room. There may be some ethnically Jewish people in this room, but not that I know of. In this room today, even with lower attendance than usual because we got sickness and cold and all kind of crazy stuff going on. There's probably seven or eight ethnic groups represented in this room as I'm looking around. None of us were the center. None of us were where the gospel started. None of our people groups were where it started. Some of you all know that scripture in Acts where it says uh, that God's going to send the Holy Spirit to clothe His people with power and they're going to go preach the gospel and you know how it goes from Jerusalem to all Judea and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Some of you don't know how it goes. That's okay. We'll preach through Acts at some point, and then you'll learn how it goes, or you can go read it in Acts chapter 1. But if you grew up in church, you heard sermons about that text. And in the sermon, wherever you were preaching, they said, that's our Jerusalem. And we're going to go out here from, to our Judea, and our Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But listen, wherever you heard that sermon was the ends of the earth. Do you know where Jerusalem is? In Jerusalem. Okay. Jesus came to a particular place at a particular point in time, and the story of Acts is about going from Jerusalem, the gospel of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, going from Jerusalem to Judea, that happened at Pentecost, then to Samaria, that happens in Acts chapter 8, and then to the ends of the earth. We reach a checkpoint in that ends of the earth story at the end of the book of Acts because Paul made it to Rome with the gospel. If you play video games, you know what a checkpoint is, right? Once you get past here, that's an important point. You can always come back to here instead of having to start over at the beginning of the game. That was an important turning point, the gospel coming to Rome. But there's a lot of levels left because there's still tens of thousands of people groups that have never heard of the gospel. And eventually it came to all of our people groups. I was reflecting on it this week, friends. I know enough about my genealogy to know I got ancestors that came from Scotland and England. I also know enough about Christian history to know that it took centuries for the gospel to get from Jerusalem to those ancestors in Scotland and England. Okay, so my ancestors were not even first on the list of the nations. What was the first of the nations invited to worship Jesus? The Persians. We just read about it. They were first. And then we read through the book of Acts, and we find the gospel going to a bunch of other nations. And eventually, several centuries later, it got to my ancestors. What were my ancestors doing in the British Isle? We were setting up stone hinge. We were making all kinds of child sacrifices. We were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We were worshiping demons. We were bowing down to statues that we had built. We were violent. We were confused, enslaving one another. But missionaries traveled. And as they traveled, they bled. And many of them died. And many of them were killed by tribal leaders. From the British Isles, where my ancestors were. I don't know enough about my genealogy to know when exactly the gospel came to my people, but at some point it did and it was costly. Do you hear what I'm saying? Think about all the faithful saints who labored away before there were computers translating the scriptures and transmitting the scriptures by hand copying manuscripts so that the Bible could get to where my. What about your ancestors? How much sacrifice did it take? How many martyrs? It's an amazing thing. Aren't you glad that it was easy for you to hear the gospel in your life? I'm so glad I grew up hearing about Jesus. In the world today, there's a lot of darkness, but there's still a lot more light shining. The gospel is still going to places it's never been before and going back to places where it's been forgotten. Still in the world today, the big news is God's light. I want you to think about a few facts about the world today. Some of you have heard these a number of times, others it may be new to you, but here's some facts. There are more Christians in the world today than there have ever been in the history of the world. In fact, most of the total Christians, total people who worship Jesus, have been alive in the last 100 years. Let that sink in. Not only that, the Christian community is more diverse and global than it's ever been. There is no geographic center to the Christian movement anymore. Most Christians live in the global south and east. There's a lot of Christians in Brazil. There's a lot of Christians in Nigeria. There's a lot of Christians in China. Much more in the global south and east than in Europe and North America. The gospel has spread all over the world. And everywhere that it's spreading, it's healing lives and families and communities. And it's giving birth to orphanages and people digging wells and starting schools, the things that the gospel brings with it wherever it goes, because Jesus changes our hearts so that we turn from our idolatry and learn to be peacemakers who practice justice. And as the gospel is spreading all over the world over the last century, it comes with a cost. There have been more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years than there were in the first 500 years of church history. That's a fact. The light is shining all over the world, still, today, right now. Everybody say, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the light has been shining in our midst in 2020 and 2021. Listen, we've walked through some hard things, as I said, but I've just been trying to reflect about the light. Will you reflect about the light with me for a little bit? As we transition from one year, first of all, I I didn't get the exact number. I think Chauncey has it on a spreadsheet somewhere, but we've baptized about 20 people over the last two years. And yeah, we could clap for that. Let's celebrate Jesus, celebrate salvation. Every couple months, we'll baptize two or three people. Now, 20 people, how does that feel? That's not very big in the scheme of eight billion, but think about what that represents. Every single one of those individuals was a person who, according to the scripture, was loved by God, was created by God, but prior to knowing Christ was also a slave to sin and death, and Jesus set them free. And now they're a child of God and will live with Christ forever, so that thousands of years from now, millions of years ago, right long after that little momentary American empire has fallen, they will live. Do you hear what I'm saying? The rise and fall of civilizations is like blips, but they're going to live forever, every one of those individuals, which is why the Bible says that heaven rejoices when even one person trusts in Christ. We had 20, and who were those 20 or so people? Well, we can go look at Chauncey's spreadsheet later and tell you exactly who they were. Some of them were our children. Parents, aren't you glad to hear your kids trusting Christ, believing the gospel? Got to baptize two of my daughters, Some of them were college students. Thank God for Gavin's Hearts Leadership and C4 Ministries and for those college students who have responded to the gospel. Several of them came to know Christ and or were baptized in the last couple of years. Isn't it awesome for young adults to trust in Christ? Some of them were kids from the neighborhoods because somebody like Greg and Layla Woodruff showed up and showed up week after week when it was discouraging and when their teammates didn't show up. They just kept showing up. And when it was hard, they didn't say, I'm too important to minister to kids. When we start doing real ministry, they just showed up and kept teaching the Bible. And as they showed up week after week after week and shared the Bible, the Holy Spirit did a miracle and awakened faith in the hearts of those kids so that 10 million years from now, they're going to be reigning with Christ. That's what happened. We baptized Mr. Webb last year. He's one of those people... Many of you have heard him share his testimony about how he spent 16 years in prison for some of the mistakes he had made, but God got a hold of his heart, and then he was living in South Oklahoma City and met people from our church. Actually, my wife was the first person who met him, and his heart started to open again to the gospel, and now he's been a part of our church family for about 10 years, and he was baptized this year. Isn't God awesome? 20 baptism, praise the Lord. School's ministry team got off the ground. Chauncey started it right before the pandemic hit. And he and his team have been persevering during this time. There's volunteers serving as reading buddies in public schools all over our neighborhood. And Chauncey shared with us a testimony that a few weeks ago, like six or seven kids from an elementary school right down the street said they wanted to trust Jesus and start following him. Isn't that awesome? Hilltop Clinic did not exist two years ago, it wasn't even here. It was in Reed's heart. It was a twinkle in Dr. Hebert's eye. But it did not exist in the flesh. And we prayed and God sent money and God sent a team and God sent all of this stuff. And now uh, hundreds of people are going through that clinic, experiencing the healing love of Jesus in their bodies and encountering the gospel of Christ. Isn't God good? St. Paul's Community School is getting to share the gospel with dozens of kids every single day. God kept it alive through the pandemic, which was a crazy miracle. And God kept teachers alive and sustained Jordan. I see several of y'all in here. Uh, today. And I, we got to hear the results a few weeks ago, Their most recent testing. In addition to all the gospel stuff that God is doing out at St. Paul's, 75% of the kids are reading at or above grade level in a neighborhood where less than 10% do. The light is shining in the darkness. Do you hear this? We got to participate with a lot of initiatives from the Stronger Together movement in one of the periods of time in which the racial tension in America has come to the surface in a way That has revealed to us so much of our own darkness. We've got to participate with stuff like the Neighbors Conference and the Bridge Conference. And by the way, I've been on the phone with Clarence Hill all all the week. He's got big dreams for 2022. So I'm going to announce more stuff that's coming up. But stuff that is shining the light in the darkness and that's making a real difference. I get to see more and more stuff behind the scenes as the department of education for oklahoma and the governor's office and all sorts of senators and people are beginning to go to the leaders of that movement and show us we and say teach us we've got to get better at doing racial justice in oklahoma isn't god awesome we could keep going and since we're talking about the nations we need to remember families that are a part of Christ Community Church that are living and serving in North Africa and in the Arabian Peninsula and in Europe and what they're doing is what missionaries do all the time which is pray a lot and share a lot and get rejected a lot and love a lot and befriend some people and it can be often feel slow and discouraging but over the course of the decades of their faithfulness people are going to come to know Jesus like they came to know Jesus in my family line hundreds of years ago. And that light is going to how many tens of thousands will be touched by the ripple effects. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everybody say, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. I want to end today by asking you to reflect on three questions. And then leading you in a time of prayer. Three questions are this. How do you want God's light to shine through you in 2022? How do you want God's light to shine through you in 2022? Second question we just put that in the plural and we're going to think like a community here because the Bible teaches us to do that. How do we want God's light to shine through us in 2022? We need to ask the Holy Spirit. Show us, how do you want to shine through me as an individual? Show us, how do you want to shine through us as a community? And those questions can't be separated from the third question. How can you open your heart so that the healing light of God's word can shine into you in 2022? Before the light can shine through us, we've got to let it shine in us. And here's the thing. There is an impact. of sinful, rebellious human nature to hide from the light because we don't want the light to shine in our darkness. The thing is, if you run away from the light, then it still finds you and you experience that as conviction, perhaps discipline or judgment. But if you run towards the light and open your soul to it, that light you experience as healing and transformation. Transformation. There's some people in this room who know that you're not right with God. You, don't, you haven't trusted Jesus and been baptized and entered into this journey of discipleship. Today could be the day of salvation. What I'm saying is don't run away from the light. Run to the light. Jesus loves you and he wants to make you free. And for Christians who already know God's forgiveness, we still got stuff inside of us, don't we? You got some stuff inside of you? I'm talking about dark stuff. And a lot of us Trying to cope with the darkness, that's what the last two years have been about for a lot of us. How do I survive? How do I learn how to cope with the darkness in the world? And maybe the word for going into 2022 is, let's focus less energy on how do we cope with the darkness, and more energy, God, how do I open my soul to your light so it can shine in me and through me? And that might mean that there's places of sin that need to be exposed. There's places where we need bitterness to be replaced by forgiveness. That little thing that's hanging you up, the habit, the substance habit or the sexual thing or whatever, just bring it to God and bring it to a couple trusted Christian friends that can help you. Let the light of God's word shine in the dark places of your soul. Because if we let the light shine into us, not only does it heal us, but it transforms us and empowers us so we can be a part of the same story that we read about today. Now, I told you I was going to ask you those three questions and then lead you in a time of prayer. And what I want to ask you to do right now is just bow your head. And going into this year, I want to ask you you to pray and take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about some of the same questions that I just raised with you. First, I want to urge you just to take a second to pray. God, where do I need to let the light of your love and your grace shine into dark places in my heart? It can be scary to ask that question, but remember... When we come to God willingly, we experience the light as healing. So where you are, just pray. God, show me where do I need to let the light of your love and your truth shine into the, light place, the dark places of my heart going into 2022. I want to ask you to take one moment before we finish to pray. God, would you shine your light through us into our community and into our world in a special way in the coming year? And for this part, you can pray by yourself or if you're close to somebody that you feel comfortable praying with, I might invite you to just turn and pray with a neighbor that in the coming year, God's light would shine through us into the world in a special way. And after I give you a moment to pray, I'm going to say a prayer for us. God, as a people, we praise you because your light is stronger than the darkness. We thank you for sending Jesus to save us, and we pray that in the calendar year of 2022, you would bring healing and truth and transformation to the deep places of our souls. And you would shine the light of your truth and grace through us to bring healing and hope and salvation. In our community, in Oklahoma City, and out from here to the other nations in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.